Sawbones is a show about medical history, and nothing the hosts say should be taken as medical advice or opinion. It's for fun. Can't you just have fun for an hour and not try to diagnose your mystery boil? We think you've earned it. Just sit back, relax, and enjoy a moment of distraction from that weird growth. You're worth it. All right. Tommy is about some books. One, two, one, two, three, four. Welcome to Sawbones, Marital Tour of Misguided Medicine. I'm your co-host, Justin McElroy. And I'm Sydney McElroy. Still don't sound normal. It's been six weeks since I had a cold, and I still can't snap back from it. What's up, Sid? You're fine. I mean, I'm fine. I'm fine. I mean, you just talk a lot. That is true. I can't give my instrument the time it needs to recuperate. You call it your instrument. That's your real problem, is you call it you call it your instrument. I was especially taxed during the Max Fun Drive. Uh, which uh, we because we recorded a lot of extra stuff and extra long episodes, and uh, I just I had to do so many podcasts. Oh, it was so hard. Eat, eat my. It's butt. what I love doing, eat and my, everybody loves me for it. And it was butt, so Smurl. difficult to Go do. Kiss my grits. Um, no, I want to thank everybody for being so generous during the drive. We had like ninety four hundred. Uh, new and upgrading donors to the Maximum yes, Fun Network. Thank you all so much. So much. Your support means everything to us. We really appreciate it. And because you all were so good to us, I am positive. Uh, Sydney assures me that we are going to have. Uh, last week it was kind of a, a kind of a lot of poopy talk, and um, I didn't realize how much poop would bother mm-hmm. everybody. Yeah. Uh, I thought. I mean, I. I know it's something that, like, I understand that it's gross inherently. Yeah. Like, I get that. Yeah. But I kind of thought it's one of those things that, like, when you're a little kid, you like to talk about poop. And then as you're an adult, you pretend like you don't like to talk about poop, but everybody secretly does. That is not the case. You yeah. were all, not you were all, but a lot of you were a little unsettled. A little put out by it. Now, by it. And I am sorry for that. So this week, Sydney promises that she's got something a lot more, uh, less squirm inducing yeah uh, a lot more relaxed uh sort of just a light topic so what do we got sydney absolutely uh there are a lot of people who have been asking for me to talk about this for a while and so um and i thought you know following on the heels of poop what could be easier for everyone to deal with than blood Right. So, so I thought we would talk about hemophilia this week. You don't actually uh, because think that that's you don't actually think that that's like okay. What do you mean? You don't actually think that that's okay. Like I know we all have a lot of fun here, but you don't think blood's like an- another cool topic. Like you don't think that's like a, like a chilled out topic. Well, it's not. I mean, there's no like. Like, there's no fecal material in it. I mean, there shouldn't be. Hopefully, there aren't. Like, there's I, not, inherently, there aren't bacteria in it. I mean, unless there's a problem. Like, it's a very, it's, it's clean. It's very under- sterile. It's just blood. It's like it carries oxygen and it's got all kinds of okay. good cells in there that protect you from infection mm-hmm. and, and 
clot you when you're well, hopefully when you're cut. I mean, like it's great. Blood's you, great. You is okay. blood is wait, is blood gross? I understand you're a physician and like but you're also you have been swapped out with like a, a pod some kind of pod person. Like you still have human emotions and stuff, right? I do, does blood is that a bothersome thing? Sydney, this is not I you're scaring me right now. Uh you don't actually think this, right? I really don't understand why blood is upsetting. You I mean, other it, than like you, if but, it but was you, like, you know, like, it is I mean, to some people, right? It like, is in the, it is in the emotional sense that like, I don't want people to bleed because that's usually problematic. And so I am worried about their well-being or, or my own. Certainly if I am bleeding, it's gross though. Right. Yeah. Like, that's what I'm gathering gross. from you. Yeah, it's it's gross. gross too. Um, why don't you, uh, why don't you. <sighs> I I'm know sorry. some people pass out with blood. I just, I guess I didn't think of it. I don't know. Okay. I'm sorry. Well, I see where I've gone wrong. Let's, let's keep trucking. All right. Well, I, I, a lot of people have requested this topic. Thank you, Andrew and Lauren and Sid, not me, another Sid. That would be weird. Yeah. Not, You're Sydney. not thanking myself. You. No, Sid and Sarah and Jolene and Diane and Mike. Thank you all for recommending this topic. Um, because it's very interesting and there's a lot of history and I am sorry, I guess it is somewhat upsetting yes. for some people. Well, let's talk about it anyway. Okay. Do you know what hemophilia is? Uh, it's when you bleed a lot and can't clot properly. That's pretty good. Thanks. I'm impressed. Thank you. I think most people have like a passing understanding of oh, hemophilia. Cool. Kind of like a, kind of like a compliment and then diminish me like in the same <laughs> breath. That's pretty cool. I I didn't mean to. No, keep going. That's good. Okay, sure. Uh, most people are aware that it is a bleeding disorder, um, but it, it's actually kind of complex as to what causes it. I mean, okay. why? Do you, I mean, I, I'm guessing you probably don't understand, like, what's, what has gone wrong that someone has probably some, bleeding issues. Probably some blood cells not doing something properly, right? Sort of. Yeah, sort of like that. So our blood clots, and it's important that our blood clots, right? Right. Because not just because we accidentally bleed from time to time, you know, when we get um, cut or when we fall and scrape something or if something, you know, is going wrong in our colon or in our bladder or something. We bleed for lots of different reasons. Uh, but we also sometimes need surgery. Right. 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 Sometimes we want to get something pierced. And we I don't need, know. We need we to get, get a better. tattoo. We need there are get... lots of reasons why we would need our blood to clot. And there are lots of ways that our blood clots. There are lots of different factors involved. Okay. We call them clotting factors. So that's convenient. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It's kind of like works on two levels. There's a whole cascade of them that takes place if you were to get cut. A whole like domino effect of factors that get activated. We call that the clotting cascade or coagulation cascade. And then there are other things involved. Things like platelets you've probably heard of. Things called like fibrin and plasmin. And uh, there are lots of different parts of your blood that are involved in clotting. The problem in hemophilia can actually be different. When we say the word hemophilia, we can mean different things. Um, for instance, let's say that uh, you have hemophilia A, because okay. there are different types. All right. What that means is that you're missing factor eight. Okay. So that's one of the factors in the clotting cascade. This is why the disease was tricky to treat for a long time, because if you have hemophilia A, you've got the other parts of the clotting pathway. You don't have factor eight. And is is it is it like a, I mean, is domino a, an applicable metaphor here in that if you take one out, 
it, like the whole thing breaks down? Others won't be activated, yes. Okay. And there are, I mean, it is, if you look at the clotting cascade, it's not a direct domino. It's almost like one of those really fancy domino setups with like a web where there are different dominoes that could hit one domino. Okay. So it is not as simple as to say if you're missing one factor, it just stops in the chain. There are other things involved and kind of other side pathways that can happen. But each factor is absolutely very important. Okay. And some are more important than others. And factor eight is particularly important for its place in the cascade. Okay. Uh, similarly, if you have hemophilia B, you're missing factor nine. And that is also very important in the clotting cascade. Um, so different types of hemophilia equals missing different clotting factors. Does that make sense? Yeah, for sure. Uh, factor eight deficiency or hemophilia B, by the way, is also called Christmas disease. Oh, festive. So if you ever if you ever hear that, that's what they're talking about. Did it's a we type talk of about Christmas disease once? We didn't. We talked about discussing Christmas disease for our Christmas episode. Yes, right. And then we didn't. But um, it's actually not named for the season or the holiday. It's named for Herb Christmas. Stephen Christmas. Oh, man. Yeah. <laughs> good, All right. Good guess. But it was named for Stephen Christmas, who was the first person diagnosed officially with hemophilia B back in the 50s. The first person, the first person, not the person to discover it, the first person to like discover it? Or the, the first person to get it? Yeah, well, oh, no, he wasn't the first person to have it. Lots of people had had it, but it. the first person to actually officially be diagnosed with hemophilia B was Stephen Christmas. And, so, and he had to go and Christmas ruin, disease. Just ruin Christmas, just like that. <laughs> you ruined the whole world. I mean, at the least- Stephen who stole Christmas. <laughs> at least his name wasn't Stephen Pizza. That would have been bad. <laughs> Pizza disease? Pizza disease. That would be... I call that heartburn. Bark, bark, Fart noise. Okay, go ahead. Um, it is... Hemophilia is an X-linked disease. Do you know what that means? Absolutely not. Justin, you've, have, you had some genetics yeah. at some point in science class. Oh, yeah. Does that mean it affects mainly men? You read ahead. I did. Okay. <laughs> Sure, it does, Justin. You put me on the spot. Could you you could have just let my ignorance lie, but you had to put me on blast and like really do that thing that I love where you're like, are you sure you're a dummy? And I had to be like, no, 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 I am for sure a dummy. So I, I got defensive. I got, you know what? I don't have your knowledge base, but you know what I do have? What's that? Savvy. <laughs> okay, Justin. So you know it largely it's affects Kobe me. Kobe Ashima, like Kirk over here reprogramming the whole simulation. Sure. Why would an X-linked disease largely affect men? Because... Men have XX. Nope. Men have ba XY. Backwards, backwards. Okay. Men have XY. Anyway, when we're talking uh, purely, and, and again, this is purely based on uh, genotype. We're referencing kind of some gender sure terms. Sure, men some, are XX. Men are XY. Men are. Okay. If we are talking genotypically male. Ge sorry. Yes. I should have been more specific. Yes. Genotypically, genotypically male. male XY. Okay. Genotypically female, we say is XX. Got it. Okay. Got that. Got it. So we're, ta we're talking purely about sex chromosomes at this point um, and not the larger issue of gender. But uh, an X-linked disease means that the gene, the problem gene that, that's causing hemophilia is on the X chromosome. So a woman genotypically has two X chromosomes, mm -hmm. whereas a male would have one. Okay. So if you're getting your X chromosome from your mother, which you do, right? If you're a, if you are born a male, mm -hmm. you get an X chromosome from your mom and a Y chromosome from your daddy. Right. Okay. You can't get a Y chromosome from your mom because she, she don't have she one. Didn't have one. Yeah. Got it. Okay. So if you you only have one X, 
So if you get the affected chromosome from your mom, that's it. It You've got hemophilia. Okay. Because you only got one X. Whereas a, a female gets two Xs. So she's going to get an X from her dad, who either has hemophilia or doesn't, and then an X from her mom, where she's rolling the dice. One of those Xs has hemophilia, the other one doesn't. Mm-hmm. So okay. a woman is going to probably not be affected because she's got a good gene on the other X chromosome. Okay. All so right. the only the only way a woman could be affected is if both mommy and daddy give her an affected X. Okay, the statistics got it. on that are just low. Okay, interesting. Does All that right. make sense? Yes. Okay. It, you don't get it, do you? I do. I do get it. I'm, like, I'm going to draw I'm you like, some Punnett squares later. No, no, I'm like Gregor Mendel over here. I got it. This dates back to ancient times. Most likely, even though we don't, hemophilia does, even though we don't see like the word hemophilia dating back to ancient times, but there are some hints of it. For instance, you know, circumcision is something that has been practiced um, in the Jewish faith for a very long time. And um, there are provisions specifically that you can find throughout um, kind of ancient history and in the Talmud where they say, if you have two male infants like two brothers who are who both die during circumcision mm-hmm. then the third and then you have another male in that family they actually do not have to go through circumcision there's actually provisions that say oh. you can forgo it the thought process being that if two boys in the family had bleeding problems to the extent that they died following circumcision the third may as well and this is kind of an understanding of a genetic disease even though we didn't understand what it was yet you know yeah, I I think it's weird that it takes two. Like, <laughs> for me as a parent, if my first kid beefed it after he got circumcised, I would be like, you know what? Let's leave it on. We're well, good. I mean, it may have just been, you know, may have just been a chance at that one. Yeah, you know what? I'm not a risk taker. <laughs> my, after my first kid did that whole thing, I'm just going to go ahead and stick with... Stick that foreskin right on I, there. I think, I think that's fair. I think my scientific inquiry probably ends where my my child begins right, right, right. for me personally yeah um there is mention in the bible of a woman who had hemorrhages for like 12 years and then jesus healed her of those hemorrhages just these bleeding episodes so that could have been a reference to hemophilia because let me mention hemophilia can affect women it's just much more common i got it no i got it um and there was uh, Abul Qasis, who was an Arabian physician from the 10th century, who wrote kind of of these like pedigrees, these histories of families where there were men in them who bled to death and nobody knew why. So people sort of understood that there was this genetic bleeding disease, but nobody knew why it was happening or exactly how it was passed from person to person. And it would seem to skip generations and nobody knew why. Okay. Now, before I get into how we figured all this out and some of the crazy things we tried to do for it before we, before we knew what to do for it. Um, I think this is a good moment to talk about why hemophilia is known sometimes as the Royal disease or the disease of Kings. Okay. Um, you may know this, Justin, but hemophilia played a major part in the royalty of Europe. Yes, I have did. You, yes. Have you I'm, heard that reference? I don't know how, but yeah, I know basically. So I'm going to try to walk you through some of this because there's some interesting facts. But let me recommend um, that if you're really interested in understanding it, right now you go Google like European royal family hemophilia pedigree. Something to the some mixture of those words. Okay. You know, hemophilia, pedigree, royal family, something like that. Pedigree is like one of those charts of inheritance. Does this happen on stuff you missed in history class? They say like, listen, guys, we're going to try our best here, but uh, 
Just, just Google it. I just think this is something that, no, I think if you could see it, if you can see the family tree, it's easier to, to follow. Yeah. Because I'm going to give you a lot of names and who had hemophilia and who didn't. And I think if you can see the little boxes and they're like, this one is shaded for a carrier and this one is colored this color if it's a person with hemophilia. I think it's easier to see. Okay. Got it. I'm with you. So Queen Victoria of England. Mm-hmm. who reigned from 1837 to 1901. So I remember from the Doctor Who episode with the werewolves. Perfect. Okay. She was a carrier for the hemophilia gene. Okay. Okay. So she did, she was not a hemophiliac. She did not have hemophilia. But she had it on one of her X chromosomes, mm-hmm. right? Right. So she carried it and could pass it along to her children. With you. Which she did. Uh, so let's start talking about some of her children. We're going to talk first about Leopold. Leopold was her eighth child, her fourth son, and he had hemophilia. He had hemorrhages throughout his life. You can get spontaneous bleeding, not just like when you get cut, you bleed a lot, or you can get a nosebleed that won't stop. You can get spontaneous bleeding in your joints, um, worst case scenario in your brain. Uh, so yes, it can be a very crippling, uh, dangerous disease, or at least at that point point in time it could have been mm-hmm. and it was for leopold he died from a brain hemorrhage as a result of it uh but before he did he had some kids which is important um on a side note he had a couple different doctors one of them was jenner you've probably heard of jenner no. dr jenner okay no. he studied him and uh and he came up with a theory based on studying leopold that hemophiliacs just had more blood than the average person I had to let it off like, let <laughs> off steam <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> and they had really small blood vessels, so it just kind of spilled out all the time. Uh, that's not true. Um, his second doctor, Dr. Legg, thought that uh, staying in warm climates would help, which is why Leopold spent a lot of time where it was warm. Um, he actually uh, died in Cannes in France. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, strangely, Legg also advocated in papers that he wrote on the subject that men with hemophilia not be allowed to marry or have kids. Which is weird because Leopold did both of those things. Yeah. And if the royal family kind of had wind of this, you would have think they may have thought like, well, this is not going to be good for our mm-hmm. descendancy. Yeah. Let's get this. Let's weed out this particular branch from the family tree. Exactly. But they, they didn't. They didn't seem to mind. They, they actually wanted to keep it all kind of under wraps and secret, um, which they were pretty good at doing. Some people, awkward dinner parties, I'm assuming, when people <laughs> just started bleeding out of their joints. <laughs> Well, not like into your joints. Like your knee will get all swollen. Yeah. There's blood in there. Yes. Percival. <laughs> My lord, Percival. <laughs> is that blood coming from your tear duct? Percival. That's Excuse us. No, mother. It's some tomato sauce. Mother, no. Percival. <laughs> are you bleeding from your ear holes? No, mother. You're so- embarrassing me, mother. When Leopold died, I'm sorry about that. This is on you. I'm not making this hard. (laughs) All right. When Leopold died, we got a lot to get through, Sid. You got to pick it up. I know. I'm sorry. This is the most interesting part, though. Okay. Okay. This next sentence or the whole thing? (laughs) Sorry. When Leopold died suddenly, uh, there was no mention of what he died from, even though it was very clear that he died from complications related to hemophilia. Um, but if you looked at journals from the time, the Lancet and the British Medical Journal, which were both, you know, very popular at the time and still are, uh, 
there were obituaries for him published in both journals and also huge articles about hemophilia. Like in, in like those in alternately facing pages. Exactly, <laughs> exactly. Like we're not going to, it was like out of respect for the royal family. Like we're not going to say it, but we kind of all know. Like he's right. had two doctors who are experts in hemophilia who are his personal doctors. Right, yeah. We're not stupid. Um, but a good note, uh, Leopold's death actually hugely accelerated research in the area of hemophilia. Mm-hmm. So. I bet Leopold would wish we'd maybe gotten on that a little bit sooner, but okay. Sure. Yeah. Um, his daughter, Alice, was a carrier of it, and she also had a son who, who had it. More importantly, though, Queen Victoria had two daughters who were carriers, so Leopold's uh, um, sisters. Okay. Okay. Um, Alice was one daughter. She would give birth to a son with hemophilia and two carrier daughters, okay? Carriers are people who aren't affected but continue to carry the gene along, right? Right. So Alice's two daughters, so Queen Victoria's granddaughters, um, this is important. One uh, was Irene. Irene married Prince Henry of Prussia, bringing the hemophilia gene into what would later become like members of the German royal family. Okay. So this is where like hemophilia starts to become part of the German aristocracy. Mm-hmm. Uh, Alexandria ma- almost married Prince Albert, her cousin, Prince Albert. He proposed to her. She refused because she didn't love him. And if she had married him, she could have introduced hemophilia into what is now our current British family, like the oh, wow. current line of British royalty. But she refused. Instead, she married Nicholas, the Tsar of Russia. Oh, gosh. Gave birth to Alexei, who did, of course, have hemophilia and who was tended mainly. Do you know who was the main person, medical person to take care of Alexei? Rasputin. Rasputin. Exactly. Who was thought to be the only person who was able. From downtown, Smurl. You can't give me anything for that? <laughs> Sheesh. I'm, I, okay, I'm impressed. I don't have a fancy sheet of paper in front of me, okay? I'm flying about to see my brain here. That was good, though. Yeah, that no was good, kidding. Though. It okay, was good. I'm impressed. I'm impressed. Woof. I'm impressed. Now so, I know how Rasputin felt when he got stabbed all those times because you have, you, I've have wounded pierced, you. You've wounded me deeply, my wife. Rasputin was thought to be able to alleviate Alexei's um, suffering uh, largely through hypnosis. Sure. And of course, Fine. I don't know. Of course, the strain of the illness and the, the, the effects of Rasputin on the royal family were supposedly, you know, big factors. Uh, thought to be big factors in the Russian Revolution that would follow. Right. Right. Um, One interesting side note, a couple. One, Prince Albert, who Alexandria almost married, who would have maybe revisited, you know, hemophilia on the current British royal family. Prince Albert for a while was thought to be Jack the Ripper. Oh, really? (laughs) Yeah, there were some theories floating around about that. He wasn't, though. Don't worry. Um, And uh, although Irene and Alexandria... Both were carriers, as we've demonstrated, and carried on, you know, the the gene to different royal families. Uh, the, she also gave birth to a daughter who wasn't a carrier, Alice. This is important because, again, another close another close call for the current royal family. Alice gave birth to Prince Philip, who, of course, is currently married to Queen Elizabeth. Mm-hmm. Another opportunity for it to kind of affect the current family, but it didn't. Um. 
The other part of this that's interesting is Beatrice, who we really haven't talked about yet. She uh, gave birth to two affected sons, as well as a daughter who was a carrier, Victoria, who married King Alfonso the 13th of Spain, bringing hemophilia to the Spanish royal family. None of the current members of any royal families are affected by hemophilia, though. Okay. Yeah, so don't worry about that. Everybody's going to be just fine. <laughs> I was very, very worried about the European aristocracy. Thank you. Or I guess, is aristocracy inaccurate if we're talking about royal families? There's probably another no, word for it. I don't uh, know. Anyway, I don't know. Anyway, so there you go. There words. is hemophilia and all the European royal families and why everybody, it was all, it was all Queen Victoria. So in closing, go Google it. Um, so how did we start to understand uh, hemophilia a bit better, Sid? Justin, I'm going to tell you about that. But first, why don't you follow me to the billing department? Let's go. The medicines, the medicines that escalate macabre for the mouth. Sydney, you know how you're always saying that you'd like to build a Justin McRoy fan site full of all your favorite quotes, clips, videos, and hunky pictures of beloved podcaster Justin McRoy? I don't remember. Well, there's that- no need to wait any longer, Sydney, because Squarespace is going to make it easier than you could possibly believe to make a website uh, all about your favorite hunky podcasting superstar. I don't think I was going Squarespace, to. Squarespace, what is it? It's a tool. Think of it as the palette, the palette of a web design artist, but you don't have to be a web design artist. You could just take stuff off the palette that is created by real people that know what they're really doing and put it from the palette onto the easel. The metaphor is broken down. Basically you're going to be able to create great looking websites that have fantastic customer support and help you unlock your creativity and do whatever you want to with your small business or podcaster obsession. You can sell products. You can uh, post your videos. You can share your stories about how Justin has shaped your life and is also a fantastic father. Folks, you got to stop waiting to make your Justin McElroy fan site. Go to squarespace.com slash sawbones for a free trial. And when you're ready to launch your Justin McElroy fan site, use offer code sawbones to save 10% off your first purchase of a website or domain. We have just started rehearsing for the summer theater. That's right. Summer starts in March around these parts, and that means we don't have much time at all in the evenings to make dinner. But we will not be just consuming Wendy's, uh, although there will be some Wendy's consumed, but we are going to have a little extra help with Factor, which delivers ready-to-eat delicious meals right to your door, and not like junky stuff you get out of the freezer aisle, whatever. This is real high-quality, chef-crafted stuff that in two minutes you're ready to eat it. I'm talking about some Southwestern-style turkey and mac. I think this week I'm going to be enjoying a shredded chicken taco bowl is 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 part of my plan. Um, but they got, like, fancy stuff. Listen to this. Where are you going to get this? Truffle butter filet mignon. I mean, seriously? From, from, from a, a box? Pre-prepared, all I got in two minutes, I'm eating filet mignon. That sounds delicious. Yeah, it sounds delicious. And you can give these a try. And it's not just these meals. We're talking pancakes, smoothies. They got some great wellness shots that are surprisingly delicious. And the meals you just eat and eat. There's no prepping, cooking, or cleanup. Get as much as you need by choosing your meals every week. You're going to get exactly what you want. No surprises here. 
Uh, and the meals, I can say, are delicious. So what do you got to lose? Head on over to factormeals.com slash sawbones50 and use code sawbones50 to get 50% off. That's code sawbones50 at factormeals.com slash sawbones50 to get 50% off. I'm Jesse Thorne, the host of Bullseye. Bullseye's your guide to what's good in pop culture. Every week, I'll sit down with people like Elvis Costello, Elizabeth Banks, and Spike Lee to talk about their creative work in their lives. Find your new favorite TV show, book, movie, or album and gain new insights into the things you already love. That's Bullseye for MaximumFun.org and NPR. So Sydney, I, I'm ready to take a stand against hemophilia and I hope you're, you are too. Uh, how, how, do, how do we start to, to fight back? So in the 1800s, we finally began to under, understand uh, hemophilia a little bit. Um, first, there was John Conrad uh, Otto, a doctor from Philadelphia, who traced back um, familial, what he called bleeders in different families, started. And then uh, the term hemophilia actually didn't come about until 1828. A researcher in Zurich, Friedrich Hoff, who finally named it hemophilia. Now, so we does hemophilia just- mean like you love it, like you're crazy for it? Like, um, so it's like you're, you're, like you're crazy. Yes, for, I mean, like, like it could be bleed, like you're crazy to, about it. Well, I mean, it's like you're prone to bleeding is what this is really. Right. Like apt to bleeding. Mm-hmm. It's not and like hemo means yeah. blood. Yeah. It's not like you just really love bleeding. You just love to bleed. No, that's not. I don't know. Huh? No, that's not right. But I can understand why you would think that. Thanks. Um, throughout the mid 1900s, we started to discover all the different types of hemophilia by different factors. As we were able to isolate different clotting factors in the blood, then we began to understand we had stuff what like blood typing and more. Yeah, exactly. So then we began to figure out different things. But um, even as we began to understand that people had problems clotting and that there were different factors involved in clotting that was the problem, we still didn't have a great way to treat it because we didn't have a great way to store blood yet. Oh, right. We didn't know exactly how to, yeah, it took us a while to figure out how to break it all down. And then it took us a while to figure out how to keep it fresh. And so often you, if you were to get a blood transfusion, it would be a straight, fresh, whole blood transfusion from a family member was Mm -hmm. kind of like our best bet. Like, I don't know, let's get somebody you're related to because then it's probably fine. And we're just going to take blood out of them and put it directly in you. That'd be exhausting. You'd be like falling around your cousin, like, please don't trip. Please, please. No, don't fight that bully. I'll fight him for you. It's fine. Fine. Ugh. Uh, This was obviously less than ideal. It might not have matched. And if you look at um, the average life expectancy, when we go back to the early 1900s, it was like 13. So obviously we needed better treatments. And there was a lot of other stuff tried at this time, stuff that uh, wasn't necessarily great ideas. Calcium was one of the earliest things recommended. There was some thought that maybe if you didn't, maybe you didn't have enough calcium in your blood. Hmm. So calcium salts were prescribed. Um, People started taking extracts of like thyroid gland and bone marrow and injecting it into people thinking maybe that somehow would make you stop bleeding. Um, Oxygen was a common treatment. I don't know. I mean, I guess it doesn't hurt. No. Um, Lime was thought to be a treatment for a while. Absolutely not. Uh, I I can call call fake fake roo on that one. (laughs) Hydrogen peroxide was popular, which I I guess I can kind of understand that in the sense that, like, I feel like every... I have lots of people I see who um, will have any kind of wound or ailment, and they'll just kind of dump some hydrogen peroxide on it. So I can see where that's. That just... was my dad, man. I when I was a kid, I can, I have so many memories of my dad hurting himself and just dumping half a bottle of hydrogen peroxide. I think because it foams up a little bit, you think like there it goes. There, it's really helping. Now it's getting in. Just there. don't do that. No. 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 
Is it not good for anything? It's not really. It's not really helping very much. Not with anything. No. It's oh no. Really it's not. I mean, what I guess gurg- if you're gonna use it once, it it's not really like... gonna. It's not. No, don't do that ever. Okay, Using I did it that a lot. No, don't gargle. What? No, don't gargle hydrogen peroxide. Just like a solution mixed with water. No, don't do that. Oh man. No. Like if you want to dump it on a cut, I guess that's fine. But then please stop dumping it on the cut because you're just gonna inhibit <laughs> healing. Okay. So like if it makes you feel good to do it the one What's time. What's it for? I don't know. People like the foaming. They feel like it's. <laughs> I feel like it's you're helpful. Be, you're gonna have the same effect when dumping a bottle of dial on it. When was the last time you went to a doctor and they dumped hydrogen peroxide on you, or I assume, told you to? Or I assume I'm going for like a folklore, like home remedy type thing. Uh-huh. I assume they got better yeah. stuff there. And if you listen to our show a lot, you know that those folklore home remedies always work so well. Okay, uh, this has been very eye opening, but th- <laughs> thank you, I appreciate it. Gelatin was recommended, which I can see where like people thought, like I don't know, that'll that makes things sticky. Sticky, yeah. <laughs> Um, in the 1930s, diluted snake venom was used okay. because it did, there were some snake venoms that could cause you to clot. So that was probably dicey. That was, mm-hmm. was risky, risky business. In the 1950s, there was a uh, one doctor who kind of started recommending you let bees sting you. Like literally like he had hives and he would like hold a bee to your skin <laughs> until it stung you. Can you imagine being that kid who's just sitting there watching the bee knowing that like the goal here is at any second, it's just yeah. going to sting you. Yeah. Um, whew. Uh, birth control pills were recommended, which actually isn't a isn't a crazy thought because we know that birth control pills, um, estrogen treatments in general, can put you at higher risk for clotting. Oh, okay. So obviously, this was not the best course of treatment, right. but this is not crazy thinking. Um, uh, as opposed to peanuts, which were were recommended by one doctor who had hemophilia, who noticed that he had a bleeding ep- episode stop suddenly one day, and he connected it to when he ate a handful of peanuts. And so for a while, peanut extract was given to people. That was just going for it, huh? Yeah, I mean, I like peanuts, but... Um, even once we figured out how to give people plasma, there was uh, s- there's so little of each clotting factor and like a whole big thing of fresh frozen plasma, blood plasma, mm-hmm. that uh, you would have to give kids tons of plasma in order to replace enough of the clotting factors they Which were missing. Some, something that's like a finite resource that's kind of tricky. Exactly. And like you're just trying and, it, and you wouldn't be doing this unless the kid was already bleeding. So you're trying to shove as much of this into a kid who's bleeding as fast as possible to try to stop the bleeding. And it, it was not a great situation. Um, so by the 1960s, we really hadn't imp- this is 1960s. We really wow. hadn't improved stuff much to the life expectancy was just under 20. So in those years that followed, we had a lot of great breakthroughs. In 64, um, the clotting cascade was published in Nature, and we really began to understand all the different things that were involved, We the process. In 65, uh, Jude, Dr. Judith Graham figured out that if you if you thawed out plasma, those bags of, of frozen plasma, if you thawed out the stuff that the precipitate that's left... Um, it's called cryoprecipitate. It's just this really concentrated stuff that contains a ton of factor eight. Huh. And when she figured that out, she, you could give that to patients instead of the whole bag of plasma. And it was a really concentrated solution of what they needed. So you could give them a lot less, a lot faster. It's like pan with a ton more after you have, yeah. have cooked the, the steak. That's exactly. just the really, really good stuff. Exactly. This was the really, really good stuff that hemophiliacs needed. Um, 
after that, we figured out how to give just single factors and we started making like, here's a bag of factor eight, here's a bag of factor nine. And we started giving people prophylactic treatments so that instead of just treating them when they bled, you could come in and get regular injections of things to stop you from bleeding, okay. right? To give you what you needed so you wouldn't bleed so much. Um, and then we started making synthetically available factors and we had to start finding ways to, cause some people's bodies started fighting back and creating antibodies against things. And we found ways to circumvent that as well. And without getting into it, it, beca- it started to become much more manageable. Um, the only major setback, and I won't belabor this point, but I think you can't talk about hemophilia without mentioning it, was in the 80s, which we were figuring out better and better ways to give people blood products, but we had not yet figured out screening for blood products. Mm -hmm. So we had a lot of major setbacks for people who have hemophilia in the 80s because of HIV, and then after that, hepatitis C, um, a great number of people with hemophilia were were affected by HIV and hepatitis C as a result of these transfusions. How do you mean? There weren't enough blood donations? We weren't screening blood products for these things. So Mm. they they got HIV as a result of that. Um, So obviously we are much, much better at that process now. Mm -hmm. And it is exceedingly rare that you would ever get something like that from a transfusion. Okay. Thank goodness. Um, in addition, we have new drugs. We have recombinant stuff. Uh, like I said, synthetics. Um, we need less frequent injections. There are new drugs coming out now that so because it used to be something you would have to get an injection of almost every single day. Wow. Yeah, to prevent bleeding episodes. We're getting much better. Um, it's still really expensive. It's still pretty time consuming, but we're trying to make that a better process. And uh, now there are gene therapy trials underway to find ways if we could inject patients with hemophilia with the genes that they need to make those clotting factors and they would become like part of their own DNA and then they could make some of that factor or maybe enough of that factor on their own. Yeah. Yeah. So that is, those trials are now underway to see if maybe we could find an even better way of treating it. So, well, we've come a long way. Yeah, absolutely. Especially from a life expectancy of 13. That's, that's awesome. It's amazing when you look at, I mean, this has all just really been in the 1900s and largely since the sixties. I mean, that's really, that's that recent that stuff has gotten so much better. Um, Wow. That's wild. Uh, If you are somebody who's living with hemophilia, we'd love to hear from you. Uh, Sawbones at maximumfun.org is our email address. Uh, um, we, we always like to hear from people who have a little more firsthand experience with, with these topics than we do. Yeah. Um, uh, we are at Sawbones on Twitter. We are uh, sawbonesshow.com if you ever want to link somebody to our program or you can just send them our, our iTunes link. I believe it's iTunes.com slash Sawbones will work just fine. And if you do check us out on iTunes and you feel so inclined, why don't you uh, give us a review and let us know what you think? Yeah, that's really the only way we have of uh, of helping the show to grow because we don't do advertising or anything like that. We just rely on your word of mouth. So uh, please like our show on Facebook and and uh, in our Facebook group if you want to join that. It's Sawbones. Sawbones. Come on yeah. over. Also, please like our show. But please like just, just like it. it. Just like it. Because um, we like you. <laughs> hey, we liked you first. Uh, that is, uh, I think that's going to do it for us. Oh, thanks to the taxpayers for letting us use their song, Medicines, as the intro and outro of our program. Uh, go search for them on uh, the internet. 
and you can uh, download all their music and give them a lot of money for it. An exorbitant fee, I should think. <laughs> and thank uh, you again, everybody who helped us out in the Max Fun Drive mm-hmm. or just listened and told their friends about it. We appreciate it so much. We do. Uh, but until next Wednesday, my name is Justin McElroy. I'm Sydney McElroy. And as always, don't drill a hole in your head. MaximumFun.org. Comedy and culture. Artist owned. Listener supported.